2: Tonight on Last Call, Netflix's password crackdown paying off, but stranger things are occurring because it's apparently not good enough for some investors. Meme Madness 2.0, left for dead stocks coming back to life while retail investors get burned again. The tide turning on threads, some shocking new stats on how Facebook's social media app may be more hype than hope. Call it jobs number one in Cupertino. Apple reportedly prepping its entry to the AI arms race. Plus, finally, a new push to ban Congress from trading stocks. Can the toughest proposal yet get through Capitol Hill? And a billion dollar Powerball winner may be crowned in just hours. A prior jackpot winner will join us on the smartest and not so smart things you can do when you win. All that and much more coming up. So belly up and buckle up. Last call is up right now. All right. Good evening here. Good afternoon. As always out West, I am Brian Sullivan. We'll get to all those stories throughout the hour. But first up on last call. We've got to talk Tesla. Their earnings out tonight. Elon Musk, he was on the call, and so was Phil LeBeau. Let's dive into the results and what was said. Phil LeBeau joining us now. Phil, what were some of the key takeaways of the quarter and the call? Hello, Phil. Phil LeBeau, he's rendered speechless by Tesla's numbers. They were so good. just... Shut him up. All right. We're going to try to fix Phil's thing, whatever that thing is. Bring in Gerber Kawasaki, CEO, president, Ross Gerber, who just not only is an ultra Tesla bull, has been for a long time, but apparently just landed like three more minutes of TV time unless we get Phil's stuff fixed. <laughs> <laughs> Ross, thanks for coming on. Oh, listen, we know you, My we, pleasure. We, we know you love the stock. We know you love the product. We, we know that. Is there anything that you heard that even as a bull, you know, you, you say, OK, this is not concerning, but you'd like to see a little bit better.
1: Um, not really in the sense of I actually thought the report was pretty solid across the board and you know Tesla's doing a lot of good things too. so when you're looking at it from a critical lens, it's all about auto automotive gross margins continuing to shrink and and the fact that whether it be competition or interest rates or whatever you want to call it, there's still pressure on pricing to some degree. and so you know a Tesla's one of the best values in the car buying market if you're out to buy a car I mean it's crazy not to buy a Model Y for with the incentives out there. But well, when you really look at it critically, they have seen their margins erode. But granted, I do think long term it's nothing to be worried about. All
2: right. We're gonna Ross, now you sit tight. Philbo is ready to go. We'll come back to you, Ross. Technology. So, so yeah, it's 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 like the it's like the fossil fuel version of TV. It's just gonna eventually it's just gonna <laughs> we're gonna phase it out. It's gonna be phased out. Philibo. Now, give us the the key takeaways of the quarter and the call. Look, when you look at the second quarter, this was
3: a sensational quarter for Tesla. Any way you look at it, both in terms of beating the street on the top and the bottom line, that was the good news initially. And people, I think, were expecting that. And and the automotive gross margins that Ross talked about, there was an expectation. The fact set consensus. And I know there were some people saying 17.5%. Well, the consensus, according to Facts set was 16.9%. Either way, 18.2%, while that is down compared to the first quarter, and down substantially compared to last year, that was better than what people were expecting. The one disappointment, if there is one, is that we did not hear during the, during the conference call specifics on the release of the Cybertruck, which is expected later this year, though Elon Musk did say they are seeing strong demand for it.
4: Demand is, is, so, is so far off the hook; you can't even see the hook. Um, so that's really not an issue. Uh, but I do want to emphasize that the Cybertruck uh, has a lot of new technology in it, like a line. Um, it doesn't look like <laughs> it doesn't look like you know any other vehicle because it is not like any other vehicle. Uh, so um, at the, and the production ramp will move as fast as the slowest and least lucky element of the of the entire supply chain and eternal uh, production.
3: One other thing from the conference call is the question of whether or not they would increase guidance for 1.8 million vehicles being delivered this year, because they, they're they ahead of pace in the first half of the year. Well, they're not increasing their guidance. In fact, they said, look, we have to bring some tooling, do some redoing, uh, retool some of the uh, facilities And as a result, we will not be delivering one point more than what we initially guided. They didn't bring their guidance down. They just kept it at 1.8 million. That's a bit of a disappointment, a slight one near term for some Tesla investors who were hoping that they might say 1.9, maybe even 2 million. But all in all, when you look at this quarter, Brian, this was a very solid quarter from Tesla.
2: Yeah, you know, I love that demand is so far off the hook, you can't even see the hook. But you know Musk is a realist and I'm looking at some of the sound bites you guys sent with Megan Cent and whatever good job by the way get it out quick which is he 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 is worried about macroeconomic conditions he notes listen when yep. interest rates go up even if prices come down affordability can be hit he's not a super bull here
3: Oh well, he's talked about that for some time I mean he has Every time there's been a conference call in the last year, he has taken a shot at the Fed in terms of saying you keep raising rates. What you're doing is making it much more difficult for people to afford a vehicle, not just a Tesla, any vehicle. And you look at the automotive interest rates right now, Brian, that everybody will tell you the same thing. Uh, It's it's much more expensive. The monthly Mm -hmm. payment goes up when those interest rates go up. And so he took the opportunity once again to say you want to see people buy more vehicles, not just Tesla's. Bring down those interest rates.
2: Yeah, Ross, do you, do you worry about that? Listen, there's a there's a mall I drove by in New Jersey where they store Teslas. There's probably five there six months ago. It must be a thousand now. I don't know if they're sold and waiting to be delivered or unsold, and and that would be a bigger problem. I don't know. I'd like to actually find out. But do you worry about the mac? Forget about Tesla itself. The macro economy damaging Tesla, damaging any car company.
1: Well, everything that was said just now is true. And so interest rates are meant to slow down purchases of houses and cars directly. You know, There's no greater effect that the Fed has. So just the same, we don't think it's sustainable to keep interest rates at these rates. And as we go into next year, um, I, I feel that there's no doubt that the Fed's going to be lowering interest rates for many reasons. That is for a different time. But so for Tesla, I think we'll end up helping them If you have a vision of over the next six months, which I think investors in a stock like Tesla need to have like a five year outlook and say, what am I investing for? You know, the macro environment today or or what's going to happen over the next five years where Tesla is hitting it out of the park in all the categories, because, you know, I don't want to miss the point of like their energy storage business just booming. And so when you look at things like charging and storage and full self-driving, As the whole picture, Uh, I was just saying this to somebody that it's it looks so much like Apple, but better like 15 years ago. Yeah. And it's a huge opportunity.
2: I just wonder if if Tesla could have the same woes as any other car company, Phil, you know, which is that you have to change the product look every five to seven or whatever, eight years because it gets stale. The Model S, by the way, is one of the best looking cars out there. It still is. Hasn't changed. Their car lineup has not has not changed at all. Yep. We have this truck, which is like the Kaiser Soze of autos. Always talked about, never seen. Right? Does, is Tesla immune from the woes of a quote normal car company?
3: Uh, we'll find out, Brian, because we're getting to the point here. I would say within the next two to three years, where we will find out if Tesla suffers the same fate uh, as other autos automobile companies over the years when a very popular vehicle comes out and people are like, love it, got to have it. And it, it is it is the vehicle. And that's mm-hmm. what the Model 3 and the Model Y to a certain extent are right now. But for 100 years in this country, consumer tastes have always gone to a point where they're like, I've seen enough of that vehicle. I don't want to see that's it anymore. It? Will that happen with Tesla? We're, we're not quite there yet. But, but that's going to be a good question in a couple of years because you're seeing enough Model 3s and Model Ys out there that at some point you may have people say, eh, everybody else has got one.
2: That's I, right. I no, no, that. Nobody goes there anymore. It's too crowded, to quote the great Yogi Berra. Yeah. Ross, do you, do you worry about I mean, listen, you, you love your Tesla. I get it. The Model S is a spectacular-looking car, but I think a lot of non-Tesla EV buyers are turned off by sort of the interior. But Elon Musk understands you got to have weight has to be weight is bad for an EV, so you don't get the real luxury stuff. Do you, do you worry that Tesla does have to worry, they have to think like a GM or Ford or not at all?
1: Well, I think that they, what you're saying is also true here where, like where I live, Teslas are everywhere. And to Me some too. degree, that's already true. So it's like people are buying Rivians and people are buying Polestars and and other EVs, which is great. And 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 Fords and And so we're seeing consumers now having choice, which they had no choice before. And many aren't choosing Model Y. They don't like the design. They don't like Elon, whatever it may be. But I think for Tesla's future to grow into the business it's going to grow into, number one, they're going to have to update the models, which is, I think, what's going to happen next to some degree. They'll be the same, but they'll update. But secondly, it's about getting into trucks. And, And the truck business, like when you're driving around California, like up and down the grapevine or something, it's like there's like a million trucks. So when you think about like pickups and semis, yeah. that is a whole new category. So when you look at sales, they might plateau in a certain sales within these categories, but they're opening up new categories. And when they open up the under 25,000 category, which is really their long-term goal, that opens up a Tesla mm-hmm. for the masses. And yeah. so I think if you look at it more like four to hundred years ago, that's really what they're trying to be. But then you add a layer of technology AI, full self-driving, charging, yeah. battery technology, and then it's like Apple Plus, well, you know? So you will, we'll see. that's, you know, Tesla.
2: Yeah, and let's and hope people, you know, they don't turn on Tesla because of Musk like some people turned on Twitter. It went from hero to zero for a lot of people out there. But Ross Gerber, numbers are pretty good. Philippo, thank you very much. Gentlemen, have a great night. All right, up next, turning a crackdown into a cash cow. Netflix scoring big on ending password sharing But why are investors kind of ignoring it? Plus, apparently, DOA is a OK with investors. Why some left for dead stocks have come roaring back?
5: Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until that
6: presentation appeared out of thin air.
5: Also, it's eerily on brand.
6: Wait, did that agenda just write itself?
5: Words appear, making this unexplainable case.
0: Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides
7: and words in seconds.
5: Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now.
7: Canva.com, designed for work. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do.
2: All right, welcome back to Last Call. The numbers, they are out. No, not Tesla. We just did that. Netflix. And At a first glance, investors don't love them. And the earnings call, not really helping matters at all. Let's dig into that. Julia Borston joining us with Netflix. Julia.
8: Well, Brian, Netflix's revenue miss comes despite the fact that it added about triple the number of new subscribers as analysts expected. It added six million new subs in the quarter. It also guided to higher than expected subscriber additions in that same six million range for the third quarter. Now, these subscriber beats attributed in large part to the company's rollout of paid sharing. That's the crackdown on password sharing. But the revenue miss points to lower than expected average revenue per user than anticipated which that guidance indicates will continue. But now the company is saying they expect revenue growth to accelerate more substantially in the fourth quarter as they further crack down on and monetize account sharing, announcing that they're rolling out paid sharing to all remaining countries today. Also saying that they're bullish on growing their nascent advertising business into a multi-billion dollar incremental revenue stream.
9: We've got a lot of work to grow this business. And I, the first priority that we're focused on is scale. We know that reach is one of the you know, predominant considerations, the dominant considerations that advertisers have when they think about where to go to spend their dollars. We want to be in that top list. We grew ads, planned membership, almost 100% quarter to quarter. So that's good growth. That's a good trajectory.
8: Another big focus uh, on the writer's strike here, the strike of actors and writers as ongoing. The company said that it's going to have higher free cash flow this year as it spends less on content due to these strikes.
9: You should know that nobody here, uh, nobody within the AMPTP, and I'm sure nobody at SAG or nobody at the WGA took any of this lightly.
1: Uh, but we've got a lot of work to do. There are a handful of complicated issues. We're super committed to getting to an agreement as soon as possible one that's equitable, uh, and one that enables
9: the, indi- the industry and everybody in it to move forward into the future.
8: Sarandos noting that on a personal level, he was raised in a union household, and he remembers the personal toll that strikes take on a family, saying he's committed to getting an agreement hammered out as quickly as possible. One more interesting nugget here, Brian. Sarandos confirmed that they're going to be experimenting with live sports with a golf tournament that's going to happen later this fall. Wow. Back over to
2: you. That is interesting. Julia Borston, thank you very much. Well, let's get reaction and talk about media more generally. Take it to our guest joining us media and tech analyst and partner at Lightshed, Brandon Ross and Mountain CEO, Mark Douglas. Brandon, first to you, you happy with the with the quarter? Not from a stock market perspective, but just what you saw from Netflix
9: writ large. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look there were expectations on the buy side were extremely high coming into the quarter. You saw that with the, what, 40-plus percent stock move from just before they uh, reported earnings last time. And you know, the subscribers numbers came in line with that, but it's actually going to take some time for subscribers to really get the full impact of the password sharing um, crackdown. And it's and you're going to see that um, come over time.
2: Yeah, I think, Mark, you said this a couple of years ago that basically password sharing was something they could probably shut off and just raise money by kind of not literally flipping a switch. But you know what I mean? It appears that they have and they haven't lost a lot of goodwill with customers who are, you know, ripping them off anyway.
6: Yeah, I mean password sharing was almost like a backlog of revenue that they could tap into at any time. And now they've started to do that. And I think folks are seeing the the benefits. Of that. And also the incremental revenue from that. Um, those consumers are already watching TV, so they're already bearing the brunt of a lot of those costs. So it's it's pure, you know, it almost generates pure profit. And I think that's part of the reason you're seeing, you know, them beat their earnings targets. And I think the ad business does the same. You take all of those consumers and now you're raising the revenue per consumer. It's just going to flow directly to the bottom line. I think you're going to see an era of increased earnings from Netflix where a lot of people were predicting the exact opposite of that. I wonder, Brandon, how does the strike, the dual strike, by
2: the way, strikes, plural, how does that, is that good? Could that actually be good for Netflix in a weird way?
9: I mean, in the near, in the near term. Okay. In the near term, you're going to get some free cash flow acceleration. I don't think Netflix needs that as much as some of their legacy media competitors that are looking to actually cut content costs substantially in in order to survive. Um, But in the short term, it could impact subscribers if there's not fresh content, but it'll be less than their legacy media peers because they can rely on international content because they have global scale and they also really still, as much, as much as they have a lot of. Um, fresh content. They have a lot of library that's licensed that, and a recommendation engine that is adept at serving the right content from that library yeah. to the right people. And none of their competitors actually have that.
2: You know, I uh, Mark, you're a marketing guru. I, I, one of the things I do worry about is this. okay? Their most expensive tier, which is probably I don't know how many of their what percentage is on it, but it's the one that, that the Sullivan family uses. Nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, that 20 they're up against that $20 mark and there's something psychological from a marketing perspective. Is there not? I mean, I wonder if they're up against kind of a pricing wall, because once they go over 20, it just feels like that's a different thing from a sales perspective. But
6: what do you, what do you think? I, I agree with you. I think that the, I always think of Netflix is where you go when you have nothing else to watch or where you go when there's like a a cultural event, like Squid Games or something like that. And I think there's a price point that consumers max out at, but because they're the go-to source, like, let me see what's on Netflix. They, they can get the subscribers they can retain the subscribers, but I th- I agree with you completely. There's a mental price point. They grew for years through price increases in addition to other ways of growing subscribers and I think they learned last year that um raising prices was no longer going to work and which is why they said we can increase revenue per subscriber by bringing in ads to drive. Yeah to drive that incremental revenue and that they they, they can make so much more money and faster by becoming a big player in the ad industry than they can by squeezing a two dollar price increase that, you know, essentially puts them over that mark that you're talking about. Or
2: maybe live sports like we, we heard Julie report on Mark and Brandon. Great discussion there, not just on a company, but really a cultural movement in many ways in media. Guys, thank you. All right, in the meantime, the run for your money, it just keeps on going. Eight-day streak for the Dow. The NASDAQ higher, I mean by a hair, but it, hey, went up nonetheless. The big winner of the day, Northern Trust, Chicago-based financial company, soaring 13% on solid earnings. Biggest one-day jump there, since the pandemic hit. Your worst performer, advertising giant Omnicom Group, down 10%. They had a big revenue miss. By the way, futures? They may be being impacted by Tesla and Netflix as well. The NASDAQ futures actually down 6 tenths of 1%. So will the run end tomorrow? Kind of like, you know, everybody on Squid Game except for one person. All right, still ahead, rally on Garth. Why traders are once again piling into beaten up mean stocks and whether it will all end
5: in tears.
2: All right, welcome back to Last Call. Today is what we call a double-fill kind of day. So let's get back with Phil LeBeau to find out how United Airlines is doing and what it may say about travel and the overall economy.
3: Uh, what it says is that things are not slowing down anytime soon. And we knew that there was strong demand in the second quarter. What we're hearing now from United, and we heard it last week from Delta they're not expecting this to slow down anytime soon. When you take a look at shares of United, nice little pop-up, more than 3%. They beat on the top and the bottom line. By the way, they earned 503 per share In the the second quarter, the street was expecting 404, well above expectations, revenue up 17%. And then it's the outlook that is really going to get the most interest over the next couple of days as investors digest all of this. Strong demand, not just for the third quarter, but it's expected to continue through the rest of this year. Q3 revenue, by the way, up 13% compared to last year, and the company has raised its full year earnings guidance. They were expecting to earn between $10 and $12 a share. Now they're saying we're going to earn between at least 11 and $12 a share. So all in all, a sensational report from United Airlines and lots to discuss with CEO Scott Kirby tomorrow morning on Squawk Box. You don't want to miss what he has to say. And I think the interesting thing here, Brian, is that increasingly folks are saying, okay, the demand is not slowing down anytime soon. Thursday is now the busiest day of the week for all airlines. The FAA just put out a report saying it's always Thursday. The 10 busiest days of the year, Thursdays. So have we now seen this shift really set in where people are taking longer weekends because they're working at home or they're working somewhere else? And it's or not, just a not shift
2: <laughs> that may be permanent. Yeah, we're not working or not. I'm going to be working remotely from a bar on Friday. Yeah, no, it's uh, hey, good for them, by the way. Uh, Also, lesson learned. Never book a flight for Thursday. We just saw the pilots get a big pay raise. It's good for them. I want good pilots who are happy in the cockpit. That's a good thing. Um, But are we expecting a lot more ticket inflation because of that, Phil? I don't think it's because of the pilot contract. Look, wages are up for
3: everybody, and certainly the pilots, I think the, the tentative agreement is for uh, an increase of 35 to 40% over the life of the contract. But that's not the reason that we're seeing higher ticket prices. The reason we're seeing them is because you have such strong demand, and because there are not as many aircraft being delivered, the airlines are, to a certain extent, their capacity is limited. and And as a result... There's just not as many seats that are out there as perhaps we might see in a normal economy at this stage where it's growing, where Boeing and Airbus are able to crank out the number of aircraft that they would like to. That's why their order backlogs are as big
2: as they are. Mm. They just can't meet the demand right now. That's it. And we'll look forward to that Scott Kirby interview, 830 a.m. tomorrow morning. Phil Lebeau, appreciate it. The double yep. fill kind Sounds of day. Good. All right. It's almost like it's somebody's birthday. All right. In the meantime, call it Carvana nirvana shares have gone stratospheric surging 40 percent today after striking a deal to cut its debt load by more than a billion dollars the used car seller soared when sales surged during the pandemic but then quickly began to unwind here is carvana ceo talking about it on mad money a short time ago i'll give some credit to our lenders that we worked with i think um you know, they
3: came in looking to work with us to find a solution. They recognized the progress that was happening in the business, and
2: they saw there was an opportunity to do something positive for both of us. Carvana stock is up 1,700% from its lows. Its value has more than doubled in the past month alone. But Carvana is not a solo story. Retail traders, they're once again throwing money at companies nearly left for dead. Look at these monster gains in the past month. Coinbase up 98%. Rivian. 67. Robinhood, remember them? 31. And EV maker Neo, 13%. Retail traders are back in and back in on some, I think, fair to say, riskier names. Do they risk getting burned again? Let's talk about that and more with Liz Young, head of investment strategy at SoFi. And I believe, unless like you were on one day when I was off, your, your first time on last call, where you been?
10: It's my first time, Sully. I'm happy to be here. Turning us
2: down for that noon show, whatever that thing is. Either way, (laughs) great great to have you here. Listen, I love that people are making money and that they have interest in the stock market. But when I hear about a stock's up 1,700%, I'm sorry. I get nervous.
10: Yeah, that makes two of us. And those are big, big numbers, particularly over a one-month period. So I think what it says right now is that risk appetite is back. I think the fear trade has certainly faded. And if you just look at the big reversal that's happened in the investor surveys from bearish to bullish... Everybody kind of went across the line and turned into much more of a bullish investor. Risk appetite increases usually when that occurs. And so far, frankly, there hasn't been a big indication that it's going to go away anytime soon. Momentum can be a really, really powerful force. The risk in that is that if you get overly exposed to some of those names that have gone up 1,700% or even four or 500% this year, there's a handful of those as well, the further they go up and the faster they go up, the faster they can fall when some of the air comes out of that balloon. So you have to make sure that there's fundamental support for those prices. And I just can't imagine that there's fundamental support justifying that quick of a price what, rise. What's
2: happened? Like, what, why suddenly everybody was loving them, then everybody ignored them. Now everybody's back in love with them again. I mean, it's it's really, it's kind of it's kind of cool and weird to watch.
10: Yeah, well, I mean, the cool part about it, to be fair, is that a lot of retail investors are really, really engaged in the market. And I think that that's good. I think that it's really good to see a lot of individual investors involved in their own investing and involved in their own financial futures. That's something that we believe very strongly in at SoFi. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a great aspect. However. What happened was you saw this big craze in 2021 of most of the meme stocks, and then the realization that the fundamental support wasn't there. And then we went through a long period of rising rates, which makes capital and discount rates, makes those stocks less attractive, basically, to an investor. So then they went through this period of being out of favor. Investors, both individual and institutional, frankly, but investors are- fickle along the terms of when you think of sentiment, right? And consumer sentiment has risen quite a bit over the last couple of months because inflation is down, the market is up, and the job market is still strong. So I think that people are more confident in taking that risk. Well, you got
2: Netflix and Tesla after the bell. Numbers aren't great. You know, who cares? We'll see what happens tomorrow. The Nasdaq 100, I think, is up 44% this year. I mean, it's on pace from its best years ever. The economy has held up better than many predicted. I'll admit that 100%. There's worrying things out there. We laid out there last night. I mean, I'm sure you're getting calls all the time. Like, what should I, I I need to be, I made a lot of money. That's when you should probably be a little bit more, not cautious, right? But like aware of your surroundings.
10: Mind the gap. Absolutely. Absolutely, and and the price you pay for things matters, right? And you've got PEs on the S&P 500 above their 5, 10, and 15-year average. You look at an index like the NASDAQ 100, and it's nearing the highs of early last year. And then you look at something like the 10-year Treasury, and it's still at a low point over the last five years. Usually, when you see yields rise on 10-year Treasuries, you don't see tech stocks go up in tandem. And that's really what's happened. So those lines have diverged quite a bit and we've seen a lot of that lately, including bulls versus bears. Those divergences, when they happen this quickly and when they get that wide, don't last forever. So the question is, which line needs to move, right? Do stocks yeah. need to come down or do yields need to come down? I don't know the answer to that. My guess, though, and my intuition would tell me that stocks are overvalued given the environment and given that we are not yeah. probably anywhere near a You know where, Liz, uh, hold on. The C-
2: cut the music for a second. You know where I'm going to probably be in 10 days? wisconsin cops they were oh, yeah. yeah like on the north side <laughs> on the north side of town
10: absolutely and i was saying because yep.
2: liz is from the great city of milwaukee and i you know i i, I part-time stay in, in in wisconsin and i was remarking yep. about all the amazing investors people don't realize this mark lasry david einhorn jim chanos liz young Wisconsin. Maybe not all born there. is born in Morocco. I think Einhorn's born in New Jersey. What's in the water or the custard in Milwaukee?
10: Well, I'm I'm flattered to be mentioned in the same sentence with them. But maybe it's custard. I'm I'm jealous that you're going to be at cops, the one on Port Washington Road, Co- I assume.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Would there would there be another one? And by the way, if you're watching from cops, please have the banana custard. Please just have it. I'll I'll buy it all. I'll buy you out. Uh, Liz Young, thank you. Appreciate it. Great to have you on Last Call. Thanks for having me. Right. By the way, cops, KOPPS, it's like that. It's a diner with great burgers and custard in Milwaukee. All right, still ahead. Is it Musk over Zuck? Where the rumors of Twitter's demise at the hands of threads may have been just a tad premature. All right, time now for tomorrow's news tonight. The stories you're gonna be talking about tomorrow morning. First up, some at a key Pfizer plant suffering significant damage from a tornado. A Pfizer complex in the Rocky Mount area of North Carolina, about 45 miles northeast of Raleigh. Pfizer Reps say the company is still assessing the damage and determining whether or not production will be impaired. The facility is a critical medical supplier for hospitals in America. Look at that. Basically the entire building collapsed. Thankfully, I don't, I don't think, or no, four people were reported injured due to the tornado. Hopefully get an update on how they are doing the most important thing. All right, next up is Discover Financial. Its shares are diving after hours following their latest results, but it's an unexpected disclosure apparently upsetting investors. It's in discussions with regulators over the misclassification of some credit card accounts and overcharging retailers from around 2007. Wow. As a result, Discover spending share buybacks pending the review. It says any revenue impact is not material to financial statements. But by the way, Discover card, Discover financial down 13 percent because of an accounting problem going back, what, 16 years. That's a big story. All right. Finally, Amazon, the Department of Justice says it has agreed to pay a 25 million dollar civil penalty. Amazon had allegedly violated A child's privacy law via its Alexa voice devices retaining, get this, children's voice recordings indefinitely. Remember that? Like, oh, it's not listening all the time. They're listening all the time. Every time you have an argument with your spouse, telling the kids to go to bed, they're listening. Amazon is now required to identify and delete inactive child profiles unless you as a parent request Had they be retained, please keep those uh, secret audio recordings of my child uh, forever. Thanks. All right. Is the so-called Twitter killer actually the one in trouble? Mark Zuckerberg's Threads social media app was launched to massive fanfare. Downloads soared, hitting 100 million in just a couple of days. People were really hyped up about this new app. This is going to be probably the greatest competition Elon Musk is going to face in regard to Twitter. I'm just
4: blown
9: away at how quickly they got adoption for this thing. My social media team that works together with all the companies so we can aggregate our buy and get scale in our buy has never seen anything like this. This thing's on fire.
2: Now, headlines also in the days after Thread's launch also sang victory for Zuckerberg. And of course, Twitter's downfall with it. Like in a matter of days, Twitter was done highlighting the massive success Threads was receiving while Twitter seemingly fell behind and calling the new platform a real threat to Twitter. There's just a small handful. But it appears that some of that early enthusiasm is being curbed. Research firm SimilarWeb found that Threads' daily active users tanking, falling from 49 million to 23.6 million in only seven days, a more than 50% drop. Time spent on the Threads app also slid in that same period, peaking in at about 21 minutes on July 7th to just over six minutes per day a week later, 7th to the 14th. Now, listen, it's early. Things certainly could change. Threads still not available in Europe. But if these trends continue, you wonder if threads could be unwound. Now, that said, not all is well at Twitter either. SimilarWeb also reports Twitter's ad traffic fell another 20% last month. Web traffic to Twitter.com, what they track, has shrunk a bit as well, falling 4% in June. By the way, sort of lost in this Twitter threads brouhaha is that Snapchat appears to be popping, with SimilarWeb noting traffic to Snapchat's ad portal up 170% in June from last year. What? Let's talk more about all these trends. Joining us tonight is deputy editor for The Verge, Alex Heath, and Wall Street Journal personal technology columnist and CNBC contributor, Joanna Stern. It is too early, obviously, Joanna, to say that threads, where's Zed? Zed's dead, baby. I don't know about thread, but you get my point. These are not encouraging numbers. And I just wonder, and I'm on threads at Brian Sullivan. I posted this article on it. You just wonder if people have the time and the appetite to start over somewhere.
0: I think you're totally right. It's too early to tell. And this app was too early. Meta even admitted they were getting this out before it was ready. So a lot of the features that we expect to compete against Twitter, whether it's a stronger feed, whether it's being able to edit text, whether it's to do a lot of the things we have now considered standard on Twitter have not been in the app. And Meta has said, Mark Zuckerberg has threaded, if that's the term we're using here, (laughs) that they are working rapidly to get these features out, to get the engagement to where they want it to be. But they, I think the company in, in itself knew they had this out way too early in, in some ways for at least to keep people as engaged as they might have wanted to. They capitalized on what they saw as a moment, their audience, that, to and get people onto this app.
2: Alex, that's dangerous. Releasing it too early, it seems a little bit risky. I wonder if people are getting bored, or do you feel like threads will succeed wildly long-term?
4: It's not really that risky of a bet for Meta. We're talking about a project that was maybe 70 people over five months. Uh, They do bigger things uh, all the time that never see the light of day by much larger factors. I can tell you uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt that internally they're thrilled with how Threads is doing even after this first week's fall off in usage. It's far exceeded what they thought the app was going to do. That's not PR. That's what they're telling people internally when they don't think journalists like me are listening. But I actually listened to Adam O'Seri, the head of Instagram, talk to employees about this last week. And he said they know they've got to focus on retention. They've got to get uh, users to come back, quickly release new features. This is what Meta does really well in social media. I wouldn't count them out yet.
2: Yeah, and I wonder, Joanna, and again, I'm on both platforms. I've been on Twitter a lot, lot longer. I'm trying on, on threads. Can they both succeed? I mean, because everyone's like, well, Threads is going to succeed and thus kill Twitter. OK, Twitter's numbers aren't that great either. Traffic is down a little bit. Ads are a different story. But maybe Threads wins and people just do what I do, which is kind of copy and paste from one to the other.
0: That's what I spent my day doing. or It's annoying, right? It's annoying. Ab- and I absolutely think this this media trope of one thing has to kill the other. I mean, There are competitors in all forms of the technology industry. And when we look at the competition here, especially around the the way that Meta has said they want to create this service, they have said we don't really want to necessarily be a real-time hose for news, which is what Twitter really is. So you also have to, I also just want to make the point here, and I'm sure Alex can make this stronger than I am, than I have, when, when Meta has copied features from other apps and they have a long history of doing this, they've done it with Snap, they've done it with TikTok, those other competitors don't go away. It strengthens Meta and their moat around their, their the ecosystem.
2: Weird, the weird, to me, Alex, the, and you, I want to hear what you think. The weird thing to me about threads is that it's asking me to follow people on threads that I don't think are on threads or I have a username from Instagram on threads, but they've never posted anything. I'm, I'm sure they'll work it out. It just feels weird, and I'm a little bit nervous about this tie to Instagram. What say you?
4: Well, that's how the app got that 100 million users so fast is it's entirely built off of Instagram. It's the exact same tech stack. It's actually the same account system. So if you try to delete your threads account, you're actually deleting your Instagram account. They're the exact same thing. So this is just Instagram made to look like Twitter as a separate app. And that gives them tremendous distribution advantages. If you use Instagram, you're going to start seeing threads in the app more often. So uh, they're going to keep promoting it. And to build on Joanna's point, like, Uh yeah, this is their playbook. And they know that they can do this again because over a billion people have tried Twitter over the last decade and stopped using it. That's the kind of audience that they're looking for. They're not looking for the Twitter power user. They're looking for all the people who have tried Twitter and hated it.
2: Yeah, Alex Heath, good discussion. Joanna Stern, thank you both very much. We'll see where it goes in the days and weeks and months ahead. All right, coming up, it is the toughest proposal yet to end stock trading on Capitol Hill. Does it have a snowball's chance in you-know-what? Of surviving swamp i think it's safe to say it's not often you see republican senator josh Hawley or democratic senator Kristen gilliband or gillibrand agree on anything but they have teamed up to introduce a new bill banning not only lawmakers from trading stocks but also those who work in the White House or any major part of the executive branch. CBC's Emily Wilkins joining us now with more. Emily, big story, any shot.
11: You know, Brian, this isn't the first bill we've seen banning lawmakers from trading stocks. We've seen a number come over the years. They haven't gotten always a ton of momentum, but this bill is unique because as you point out, it is one of the toughest and the most thorough. While there are laws on the books banning members from using insider information to buy and sell socks, Holly told me today that it's too easy for elected officials and public workers to use the information they get just over the course of their jobs to trade on. And his solution is to make it as tough as possible. His bill is one of the only ones that not only prevents lawmakers from owning or trading stocks, but also prevents them from putting what they do currently own into a blind trust. Uh, Gillibrand echoed that sentiment today, saying in a statement that it was, quote, critical that the American people know that their elected leaders are putting the public first, not looking for ways to line their own pockets. Momentum around a ban picked up last year, both inside Congress and among the general public. A new poll released today from the Program for Public Consultation found 86% approved a ban for stock trading. And Brian, unlike so many other issues today, there is barely any divide among party lines. 87% of Republicans, 88% of Democrats agreed with a ban. Look, it's not yet clear whether the new bipartisan bill will have more success than past iterations, but it shows that this battle to ban stock trading among lawmakers isn't over.
1: Yeah,
2: it's, it's got to be the most bipartisan thing to your data points, Emily, that we have seen almost unanimous among both parties. It's amazing how many people make a couple hundred thousand a year in Congress end up multi-multi-millionaires. Emily Wilkins, thank you very much. All right, time now for Quicker Than the Ticker. All the news that matters, including the obligatory daily story involving a Kardashian. Let's put 60 seconds on the clock and go. Apple jumping into the AI arms race, developing its own equivalent of chat GPT. Internally, it's creatively called Apple GPT. Stock popping. Trouble at Stanford University. President Mark Tessier-Levine is resigning. This after a student newspaper found multiple problems with some of his prior research, including some studies he oversaw that did not abide by proper scientific methods. Transit inflation. New York City raising subway fares to 290 from 275. That goes into effect in August. Kim Kardashian's Skims apparel brand, now valued at a cool $4 billion. That's thanks to a $270 million round of new funding. Forbes' Kardashian herself now worth 1.7 billion. Americans eating less ice cream? Sad but true. According to the USDA, the average American now only eats 12 pounds of ice cream per year per person. That's opposed to 18 pounds. Oh, over already. what'd you do if you won the lottery? Up next, we're gonna talk to somebody who did. All right, let's have some fun and dream big in today's RBI because it is billion-dollar Powerball time once again. In about three hours from now, the multi-state lottery set to draw the numbers for its billion-dollar jackpot, third biggest ever. So if you drew the lucky numbers tonight, I mean, you won't because I will, Powerball says you can take it all up front in about $517 million. Now, taxes and fees will take even more of that, but let's call that one of these good problems. So here's the billion-dollar question. What would you do? What should you do if you win the lottery tonight? Again, win it with me. Let's ask a former lottery winner, Timothy Schultz, in 1999, $29 million jackpot. He was just 21 years old, working at a gas station to pay his way through college. He now has a podcast called Lottery, Dreams, and Fortune. Tim, great to have you on. Uh, I was watching some of the podcasts. Really good stuff, by the way. What, what should, if we win tomorrow morning, what's the first thing somebody who won should know? And what should they do?
1: Well, the first thing you should know is that, I mean, it's very surreal. It's going to feel like you got hit by lightning because basically it's very, very shocking. The first thing you should do if you see those numbers matching is, of course, to secure the ticket. Put it someplace secure, like a safety deposit box someplace, because that's a liability to have a ticket worth that much money.
2: Yeah. I wish we had more time. Uh, We'll get you back on very soon, Timothy. What was it like to wake up 29 million bucks, by the way? That's a lot. It's not a billion. It's a lot of money. What what was it like to know? Oh, my God, I don't have to worry about money again as long as I'm not, you know, blowing it on stupid stuff.
1: Oh, it's it is extremely, extremely surreal. I mean, your life can turn on its head in an instant. And for me, I was just struggling working 40 to 60 hours a week at a gas station, trying to put myself through college. And then all of a sudden, at the age of 21, just my life just took a different path. Did you finish college, Timothy? Fun. Can I ask that? Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: Timothy Schultz, lottery dreams and fortune. We can all dream about. Tim, I want to get you back on again soon. I want to hear more because it's a it's thing we all dream about. You lived it and are still living it. Congratulations. I really do appreciate you coming on last call tonight. No time for back in time. We're going to see you tomorrow, by the way they want to do it. it's my birthday so thank you all thank you all yeah i'm 52 we'll see you tomorrow
7: this podcast is supported by fedex dear small and medium businesses no one wants happy customers more than you do